a professor visiting from Egypt. Wow. And I was so fascinated in those days with Egypt. Yeah. And he was an astronomer, to say the least. And wow. so it was even more mystical and fantastical. Yeah. And so I, I remember going and visiting him and sitting on the floor and just listening to him, <laughs> taking in everything. Welcome to another inspiring episode of Inspiring Explorers. And this is your host, Manakshi Srivastava, also known as My Boho Voyage. For this episode of Inspiring Explorers, we have an inspiring explorer who, from being an elite choreographer for World Olympic Figure Skating Champions, directing and choreographing multi-million dollar international touring stationary figure skating, today is a global nomad, keynote speaker, TEDx speaker, executive coach, and author. Kevin caught him. To quench his thirst for the ancient nomadic wisdom, Kevin has lived with the many ancient tribes of Mongolia, Kenya, Morocco, and many more, researching ancient nomadic leadership wisdom to determine what the nomadic mindset is. Kevin has shared all the wisdom that he learned in his book, The Nomadic Mindset Never Settled for Too Long. Having lived and worked on four continents, 12 major cities, visited over 60 countries, 200 towns, Kevin believes no borders limit his mind, nor heart, nor movement, just like a true nomad. I'm Minakshi Srivastava, your host for Inspiring Explorers, and I welcome you to the show Inspiring Explorers. Each week, I'll be interviewing some of the most successful personalities who will share with us their inspiring life journeys and some of the interesting travel experiences that are not limited to sightseeing. Guys, make sure you share this episode with your friends. Please do subscribe, follow, give a 5-star rating and hopefully a review. And also don't forget to come say hi to me on Instagram at the rate myboho-voyage. Now before I start this episode, let me inform you that we recorded this interview during the COVID-19 lockdown and hence the recording was done remotely. We were both sitting in our houses and recorded it online. So please don't mind the background noises and I hope you still enjoy it. So without any further delay, let me welcome the personality who's truly nomadic by heart, the nomadic mindset coach, Kevin Cotton. So how are you? I'm good. It's wonderful to meet you. It's wonderful to meet you too, Kevin. Yeah. yeah. So glad we could connect. Absolutely. Uh, so firstly, I would like to you know welcome you to Inspiring Explorers, Kevin. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Oh, you're welcome. So I want to thank you very much for uh, this. is wonderful. I don't know how we sort of connected, but anyway. Um, I think it's absolutely my pleasure to have you, you know. All right. So my first question is, how did it all start? So your childhood was completely in Canada. Um, yes, yes, actually. And uh, I started to, uh, I think I started to have a wanderlust very <laughs> early. I don't what? know why. I don't know even know where it came from, to tell you the uh, truth. Uh, it wasn't certainly from my family, but uh, I lived in a uh, lived in a very secluded uh, camp. So on the west coast of Canada, it was a logging camp, and it's uh, very familiar in Canada to be coming from a logging camp. There was uh, only like maybe 250 people, uh, uh, but it was on a beautiful lake, and it was. Uh, as lakes are, there's usually mountains on the sides of them. Yeah. And I remember at a very young age thinking, what's on the other side of those mountains? Yeah. So I already had, I think, a little bit of that wanderlust, that, you know, that it's, it's version. And then I became very fascinated when I went to school with ancient history and 
and also the pharaohs and uh, and also India and all the ancient histories of the, the world. And I memorized all the map geography. And I knew all the countries and all the capitals. Well, that was a long time ago. Now I don't remember any of them. And they've also changed all their names. And there's yeah. many new countries. So, so, I, have, so I, have, I don't remember them. But I have to say that... Um, I think that uh, it was during that period that I started to get these rumblings inside of me. And it was really fascinating once because my sister, who lived next door to us, had a house. And she had a professor visiting from Egypt. Wow. And I was so fascinated in those days with Egypt. Yeah. And he was an astronomer, to say the least. And wow. so it was even more mystical and fantastical. Yeah. And so I, I remember going and visiting him and sitting on the floor and just listening to him, <laughs> taking in everything. And I, um, yeah, it was those periods, you know, that had me going. And I remember... So in Canada, when you're in high school and things like that, you just want to take your, you know, when you graduate, you want to put your backpack on and you want to do Europe. And that was really the thing. And I could not do Europe because I was, um, a, I was a figure skater and an, a, a, an athlete, an athlete and a champion in Canada. And so I was really training an awful lot in the summers and even after, you know, high school and stuff and into university. But then, when I quit skating, my first teaching job was in Australia, a very non-figure skating country, but oh. it was, how far could I go away? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and also, at the same time, was also interesting, I, I applied to teach skating in Mongolia. Mm. Why, I don't know, because I was fascinated by the name Mongolia, and I thought, well, where the hell is Mongolia, you know? And so... <laughs> Why not? And uh, and so now, after doing the you know the research for the nomadic mindset, I got to go to Mongolia, and I was absolutely enthralled by it. So I think that this whole sort of quest of wonder and wonder at the same time, you know, and I think that those are I call it nomad nomadic wandering, mm -hmm. and it is. It's not just the nomadic wandering of the physical geographical movement. It's it's the wandering of the mind. Yeah, it's, it's it's also what I call it's like daydreaming. So instead of I call it daydreaming, I call it nomadic wandering, right? And mm. so so that to me is really a fascinating thing. And I uh, have to say that it is something that I do on an ongoing basis. Okay, you mentioned Egypt, you were fascinated by Egypt, your studies, but how did you choose this path to, you know, fulfill that passion of yours to, you know, have that nomadic mindset? Um, I think it was intuitive, you okay. know, and it was something that I was running inside of me. And I don't believe that it was a, I mean, there was a real consciousness in the last few years to write about it. And to be able to discover it further. So yeah. that's something that's been very um, important in that particular aspect. Is that I just felt that there were, as I, I said earlier, is that I think that it was inside of me. 
And it was one of those jewels that just needed to flourish and, and become clearer with and understand and become more aware of. Because we don't always become aware of things until we are jolted or, or we hit a wall or something like this. But it's not that I hit a wall. I mean, I this nomadicness in me of to move around, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. No? Uh, some people say, oh, you know, how do you do that? And I, I don't know. I just get on a plane and I go. Yeah. And... And then I have to solve the issues once I get there, right? Mm. But I don't really see the actual get up and go problem. Yeah. I know. I don't put that anything in my way in that sense. I, and so the nomad, as I mentioned before, is really not just a physical wandering of mm. me, but it's also the mental moving of me. Yeah. And I think that's the, probably the important factor is that many of us, as I found from my research, my book, The Nomadic Mindset, Never Settled for Too Long, is that many of us become very settled. Yeah. And so, and that's fine. And, and the world is made up of a variety of different mindsets. But I don't have necessarily that true settler. I, I'm a, a true nomad in that sense. And, but I still can settle for a while. But that, what does that mean? That means that uh, is that I think that the mind starts to put up a lot of walls and, and you start becoming afraid of things and there's more risk to be taken. And that's, that's when we start closing and becoming narrow. Mm. And the point is, is that we cannot become narrow in this world. We need to yeah. be more expanded. And the, the world is an example of what's happening right now is that mm. it's... The reason I wrote the book was because I feel that we've become too narrow in our thinking pattern and we must expand. Mm. So I can, when I realized that I just, through a variety of things in my life, it's uh, become clearer. Mm. Of course, it's taken me a long time to get to the book. <laughs> but uh, it, it, everything appears when it needs to appear, right? True, true. Yeah, so, yeah. So, well, uh, you were a choreographer and you traveled you know you choreographed for the olympic championships and uh, you have traveled more than 60 countries already so then why did you chose to be this you know make a huge switch a leap of faith to becoming this nomadic global uh, you know global nomad so why this and the challenges that you face to you know finally follow your passion and take that switch mm, that's a great question uh, I believe that I've always followed my passion. Uh, one of the things that I did not do at the very beginning when I went to university, I thought my passion was to become a doctor. Okay. And I went through science and uh, realized that I was my last year that I was getting very, very nervous about all of this. Mm. And I told my mother, I said, you know, I don't think I can go into medicine. I don't really just, it's just not me. And she says, well, I don't know why you're doing it then. And I, well, I thought that you wanted me to do it and dad wanted me to do it. And she says, no, you decided to do it. You just thought that. And I went, oh, now I'm free, finally. <laughs> and so consequently, then I just sort of, I did whatever I wanted to do, which was very important 
you know, I enjoyed. And yeah. I was a dancer and I studied in New York and I danced at the Moulin Rouge. And, and then I went back to school again, but that didn't work out because I couldn't stand the studying. And, uh, and so then I became a choreographer because I wanted to combine everything. And because I was a figure skater as a, as, as, as a kid and a champion. Yeah. And, and that became a real uh, drive for me. And I loved it, you know, I'm working with all sorts of skaters internationally. That fascinated me when I work, or I would work with somebody from Finland or from Sweden, wherever. Yeah. I was all fascinated about where they came from. Yeah. And so that started also my traveling. And, yeah. uh, but at the same time, I always was a little uncomfortable and itchy at some times, right? Mm-hmm. So when I was 40, I was very successful at that time. I'd, I'd had worked with national world Olympic champions as the choreographer. I'd done the closing seminars of the Olympics. And I was, had done all the things that I wanted to do in skating. Mm-hmm. accomplished it all. And I thought, so wh- where do I want to be in 20 years or 25 years? Do I want to still be doing this? And I looked at my peers and I also looked at the people that I really held in high esteem that were still in skating and in that age group in 60s and 70s. And I heard the stories and the talking and whatever. And I thought, and I asked, do I want to be like them when I grow up, so to speak? And I said, absolutely not. And so I said, okay, now you have to start moving on. You have to start shifting away from it. It took me a while to shift away from it because I still, you know, I had to make some money and I did and did a lot of very big shows and touring shows, and which was all very exciting. And then I, uh, in 2003, I moved to, uh, I moved to Brussels and I thought I was still going to be in events and doing large shows and different types of shows, land-based as well as skating-based. Uh, and I, I, one thing that I love to do is to be adaptive. So whatever the medium is I'm fascinated by is how can I adapt to it? Mm. And that is very nomadic. Yeah. Is being able to figure out what is your, how can you adapt to a situation and just flow with it? Mm. So it's like a river, you know, it's a dam. You just have to open the dam and just let the water out. And that for me was exciting to do. So, but when I got there, I was a bit confused and I didn't know anything about coaching and I ended up getting a coach. And so I went to go through coaching with her and and by the time I had gone through, I think 12 12 hours or maybe 14 hours, I thought, you know what, I really love this. This is putting a full circle on everything I did as a coach, as a skater, but now I can explore people in other industries, not just in the arts or not just in sports, which I was really confined to. And I wanted to reach more people, you know, and I wanted to spend time with others in in different occupations, different industries and things like that. So I ended up doing that. And then I uh, ended up being a coach uh, at the European Union in Brussels and working with bureaucrats and 
So it was really quite fun and very fascinating because it's so intelligent. I'm like, oh my God, I don't even know what they're talking about. But anyway. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, you go through ups and downs and ups and downs and financial ups and downs and all sorts of things. And, you know, through this COVID period, it's like a down period. And so now it's, you know, when you, you're at zero, you have to go up. So you, that's where the resilience kicks in and you start to think, well, okay, so what are the opportunities? What are the possibilities? And how can I use my creativeness to, to get there? So, you know, about three years ago, that's when the nomadic mindset really appeared. Yeah. And uh, I had a mentor, mm-hmm. and, and he's a really well-known speaker around the world. And so on my first mentorship session, he got fascinated about what nomad means, you know, because I said, I'm a global nomad. And he said, well, what is that? And what does it mean for you? And, and so it was really very interesting in that he asked me all sorts of questions and he became fascinated. And, and he said, well, I think this is where your passion seems to lie. And this is a theme for you. And he says, you need to research. And because it was a leadership book, I needed to read, you know, have interviews with about a hundred leaders executives, different industries, different generations, all sorts of things. But then he also said, you have to go and spend time with nomadic cultures. And I went, oh, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> bigger than I thought. <laughs> and it's changed my life. It's changed my life. My whole heart my, has opened considerably. I have found a place in a space that I love to play in and explore in. And that means people, that means yeah. cultures, that means uh, observations, it means nature. It means also seeing the, the interconnection of, of life and existence with mm-hmm. nature. And I think that that is one of the biggest pieces that for me that has, um, you know, taken me on this journey and this journey just continues. And so, and you need to continue those journeys once you start. Why? Because then you become relevant. If you don't, then you're not relevant anymore. And because things change all the time, you need to stay that way. And so I think the other thing is is that uh, has been very much in my heart is this is brought about is charitable, being charitable to a lot of these uh, nomadic cultures and especially the Maasai. I did a GoFundMe during this period for them to help their communities. And and so that was very heart rendering, you know, on so many levels because I really feel for the people. And so for me, uh, it's, you know, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life is explore, is being able to look at humanity from a much bigger perspective is to look at this globe from a different perspective and to to give back as much as I can and 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 also how to bridge the gap from old knowledge of ancient wisdom to how can we adapt that for today and it really is is just bringing back the roots and the basis of us individuals and it's it's like back to the future so to speak and I think that that's what the nomadic mindset is and is really the movement of the mind and how we can apply many, many of the wonderful behaviors and values and attributes and qualities 
that they exhibit from the whole concept of just community, for example, of family, of co-creating, collaborating together. And, you know, like with change, people today are just, many people don't, are just so afraid of change. Mm. And for them, when you ask them, how do you deal with change? They just sort of look at you as like, are you crazy? Change is happening all the time. So why are you spending the energy to think about it? Mm. You know, and just go with it because it's going to shift. Something's going to shift. The weather's going to shift. The cow's going to go from here to there. You know, I mean, we're changing all the time. It's just yeah. on little micro levels, but we don't see those micro levels as change. But in many ways, I think that there's a, a loss of the real qualities that are living within everyone. Yeah. They're living there. It's just, let's bring them back to some sort of observation because they can help us considerably this position from to hyper-technology in and, uh, a world of hyper-technology and the humanism that needs to come back, the combination. Anyway, I went on too much. <laughs> No problem. It's always, you know, interesting to listen to these things. And really, because I connect to all of these things. Like, I believe uh, people have changed so much. So I try to, you know, uh, try to get back to the times when they did not have so many uh, technologies and help with them. What mm. did they do? So I would try to, uh, for example, if I have a sore throat and I cannot go to the doctor, so I would like, try to Google up the stuff, what would they do? Because especially in India, they have this Ayurveda. Uh -huh. And my nani used to practice it, my mom's mother. My mom used to, uh, still practices uh -huh. it. So I try to find out home remedies or anything uh -huh. that's Ayurvedic. For example, if uh, I have uh, sometimes during the weather changes, I have hay fever. So I would uh, drink Tulsi tea, tea made of Tulsi. So I would drink that at 3 a.m. in the night. So, and it would cure me up. So I'm like, we should go back to those times, you know. Yeah. Fine, we have technology, we have a bonus, but we should be more natural. Yeah. Like the people in Himalayas are surviving that way. We mm. can do with the basic bare necessities. We don't have yeah, exactly. to have too much. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. No, so, it's yeah. true. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, the natural products are much better. I mean, I like Ayurveda. I've, I've actually uh, been to an Ayurvedic spa in, in Kerala and also in Sri oh. Lanka and loved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've been to some parts of Kerala. Definitely did not have the experience like I was very young. So, yeah, mm. with that, sometime maybe, yes, I will. Yeah. There's so much to travel and explore. <laughs> yeah, fun. I know. Never ends. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you studied all these tribes, as you were suggested. And uh, so what were your learnings from these tribes? And how fascinating were these to you? So I spent time with Mon in Mongolia. Mm -hmm. And I spent more time in Kenya with the Maasai in, southern, in the Maasai Mara in southern Kenya. And then also the Berbers and other nomadic cultures in the Sahara in southern Morocco. And recently I did another trip to Namibia to visit the Himba and also the San or the Bushmen of the Kalahari, which are the most ancient 
of the nomadic cultures in uh, in the world actually and definitely in Africa mm. uh, they are very few now well you asked me what I learned one of the things that I realized that when I was in Mongolia they a woman she said to me she said you know I asked her what the meaning of nomad was and she said you know many people say it is the people and cultures that move from place to place to find their pastures. Mm-hmm. And she paused when she said that, after she said that, and she says, but that's not what it means. Mm-hmm. I got curious, even more curious, and she says, it means the movement of the mind, the movement of the mind. And I thought, wow, not only is that very poetic, and it's a metaphor, and it's also so true because it is about movement. It's about physical movement. Mm-hmm. And so the consequence here is, is that that taught me an awful lot about thinking about what is movement. Mm-hmm. And that most of us don't think about movement. Yeah. But we cannot do anything without movement. Mm-hmm. We are living, our body is full of movement. The only time that we finish movement is when we're dead and then we go into the ashes, you know, but otherwise we're moving, maybe very slow and maybe very fast, the blood and, and the neurons and whatever, but something is always moving. Sure. So it's the mind also is always moving. And people say, oh no, it's moving too fast, you know, how do we deal with this, you know, how do we calm it down, you know, we have meditation, but meditation, I can't get rid of all of the the noise and the ticker tape that's going across my mind. That's movement. Mm-hmm. Your mind is not going to just stop. True. The point is, is that you look at it, you observe it, right? Mm-hmm. Meditation teaches you to observe, but not get engaged with it. Mm-hmm. So the movement of the mind, I thought, wow, this is so cool. And so that became the premise of the book. Yeah. And then... One of the other things that I I learned from a young student in Mongolia, and she was telling me about Mongolia and what was important about the freedom of being in the expansion of the, out in the desert or out in the the grasslands and out in the, so she said, you know, that's where freedom is. She said, that's where you need to be resilient because of the weather changes and anything that can happen to you. This is where you need to be. You need to have agility and adaptability and the flexibility. And then she said, but, you know, as an urbanite, I, I seem to have lost all of this. Mm-hmm. Then she said, nomads, think vastly, act narrowly. Think vastly, act narrowly. And I thought, another beautiful piece of poetry in a quote, you know, which has a lot of depth in behind that. Mm-hmm. So, but she says that nomads have this expansive thinking. They're very open. They see the whole picture. Mm-hmm. And then they narrow in and make a decision very quickly. Mm-hmm. So the focus is, so for example, as a coach, most people come to me in a narrow position in their mind. They're blocked or they don't see the edges or they're just in a block. And by asking a variety of questions, you help to expand and to open that mind to see the possible other possible answers or solutions or decisions that you want, whatever it is. But this is what happens is that nomad, they're able to fluidly flow between 
expansion and narrow, expansion and narrow, just like birds' wings, you know, in and out and in and out. And they don't get locked into one, they move out. Mm. We get locked and we get stuck. <laughs> True. Okay? And so this fluidity is really, really important. Mm. So this is something that I thought, my God, this is really great. And when I've been talking and doing a lot of conversations and some webinars, this is one of the pieces. That one quote sticks with people. Think vastly, act narrowly. Because they can relate this to seeing all the possibilities. Think about when, you ask, when somebody talks to you about something, ask a question that already opens you up, mm. right? And then you find an answer and then ask more. You get curious, you get curious, you get curious. That opens and opens and opens, right? So the questions open the curiosity, yeah. which expands the thinking. So this is all relative, you know, because in their world, uh, Mongols, or they have the open space that they live in. Uh, the Maasai, they live in open space. You know, we live in small little areas in a, in a apartment in a big city. Everything is crammed in, and, and we, how do we find space? We have to be able to find the space within us, and that's how why I think a lot of people do meditation. Yeah, is to find the space within them, and that's the thinking vastly is allowing that mm. to go. Uh, also, from I mean, there's just so much, you know, but the Bushmen, for example, is that Bushmen are hunters and gatherers. That means that they hunt for their food, but they're not allowed anymore. Mm. Uh, it's all show and tell now. And, but they have a quiver. So a quiver is the, what holds the arrows. But that quiver is made from a root, an acacia root. Mm. And... They look for the perfect tree that might have the perfect root. So bear with me on this because this is all metaphor, you know, mm. for what we can see and what I'm taking from it is that yeah. so they go and they dig up the soil and they look at the roots, they dig around the roots to see is it really the right root? Is it long enough? Is it straight enough? Is it, it has to be long and straight for a certain period mm. because that's the length of their arrows. Mm. And when they find it, then they chop it off and they take it out and then they cover up with all the soil. So they cover the soil back up here. Mm. But the point is here is, is about looking for the perfect root. Looking for the root of the problem, as we say, but to look, you have to uncover it. The soil is covering it up. And so you need to be able to find that. And then also to, to nourish what is left and cover back up again. So anyway, the point is here is, is that they will eventually, they will take the inside of the root out and they do that by heating it up. On the on the fire, and then the liquid in the inside shrinks the wood inside, and then they're able to pull it out. But then they make long arrows, and the arrows are made from bone, a variety of things, and the tips are made from bone. And the point is, is that those arrows, each one is slightly different. 
Mm. And they may have a different poison or they may have something different on each one of them. So you have a quiver, which I say are the roots, but you have a different arrows that you can shoot at your target. Mm. So again, it's, it's about thinking, well, what is that? They're looking for the perfect target and they need to have the stillness, they need to have the observation, they need to have the listening, they need to have all of these, and each one of those could be a, an arrow of communication, an arrow of resilience, an arrow of what we, we have, uh, which are inside of us that we can use. Mm. But it's having the perfect root to hold the perfect arrows. Yeah. And these are learning. I mean, they don't take it to that nth, but that's what I have seen and extrapolated and said, okay, we have this in our world. It's adapting this, this information mm. to today. So how do, what are those arrows that we need to create? What's yeah. the container of yeah. those arrows? Is it the organization? Is it us ourselves? What is it? The container. So, and that's the root. We need to get to the root of the issue. Yeah. Not just stay at the top of the tree and the flowers and the, and the beautiful leaves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so these are, and, and then, you know, another saying by a Maasai warrior, he said to me, we are migrating. Where we were is not where we are. We are evolving. Hmm. Our mind is moving. Migration is a movement from one place to the next. Animals migrate. Why do animals migrate? Why do people migrate? It is survival. They move for survival. People don't just move. They move for survival. And that's all known as people. People say, oh, they just wander, wander, wander. No, they do not. They're very strategic. They know their survival is important. And they make sure that everything works for them. You know? They are strategic in looking at the weather. They're strategic at looking at, they send out their best warriors to find out, is the, is the coast clear? Is this the best direction to go? Is that where the water is? Whatever, you know, they're very strategic. And so it's important that we use those types of metaphor today to be very strategic in our, our way of life, the way we, our lifestyle, our, the way we do business. And, but it's about looking at the vastness and then narrowing it. True. And sometimes we get lost, and that's fine. And, uh, but, you know, the, for them, the migration, one of the reasons that animals migrate is to give birth. Mm. So, again, it's a metaphor. If you think about this as a metaphor, what is giving birth? Giving birth is to ideas and thoughts and creativity and that wandering and exploration. Sure. It's, it's giving birth. It's giving freshness. So migration is beautiful. And uh, so these are the things that I've learned and many more. And I just find it very rich. And I have to say that being able to take them as metaphors and see how they use them, this life, and how do we? How can we adapt that to today? So yeah, that's what yeah. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that answers your question. Long question. Definitely, then. No, no. I think it's uh, you know, 
people need to learn a lot about all of this more of all of this all right so coming towards the experiences part of traveling so while you have traveled with the tribes you have been you know you have been a part of those tribes for a long time and you have traveled the world as well so some experiences that you would like to share with us well um one of the experiences which uh, was a little bit uh, could have been a problem for my security big time okay. uh was uh, when i was in morocco is that i in when i was in morocco i wanted to go to mauritania and to mauritania i was to visit a sufi nomad which would have been fascinating to me a sufi nomad that was just like heaven on earth and he was one of the wealthiest men in mauritania who is one of the wealthiest and it was time that donald trump had recognized jerusalem as the capital and moved the and he contacted me and he said no you cannot come because he said it's very dangerous i cannot protect you and and make sure that your life is secure he said you don't have the color skin and you, you will be a pinpointed and people will think that you're probably american and and so therefore don't and so i said okay you know better than i do so yeah no problem uh, so i think that uh, one of the great experiences i had i must say was the tea ceremony and in uh, in morocco so many of you know that they have green tea or mint tea moroccan mint tea yeah. now this is moroccan mint tea is only in the north of morocco in the okay. south it's just green tea with lots of sugar okay so much sugar it's just it's like whoa and <laughs> but the ceremony is the most exciting part you know because it's like any tea ceremony it is it has a culture okay right? it doesn't matter if it's in japan or china or in england so we would go we went to we were looking for nomadic culture we were some nomadic homes and someone to we can go visit mm-hmm. and the the tradition is is you give a gift you give tea and you give sugar and you might give rice or you give potatoes or whatever you need you give as a gift when you you're welcome so then you're invited in and you sit on the floor and then there's always the master tea maker and that's usually the the master of the house mm-hmm. and uh and so but the conversation was all in arabic so i didn't know any of it So I just watched and observed everything that was going on and we all sat on the floor in circles and there was all sorts of communication going back and forth between and asking questions and primarily what I found out is they're finding out about me. <laughs> right? Is the master wants to know who is this person? Why are you bringing <laughs> him here? You know? Because what they're doing then in that and you do it over three cups of tea they keep keeps making and you keep the the long and they say the longer you have the tea the more information you gather yeah. and the more information you gather the safer it is for you okay and so you get to understand everything better so today we rush it coffee we rush tea we rush everything and so you don't get the right all the full information mm. because what is it supposed to do it's supposed to develop rapport build trust 
build a conversation. It's supposed to build safety for the road. It's supposed to build gather information mm. so that you every each party understands each other. Mm. And then, so there was a point in the conversation after three cups of tea that my interpreter said, okay, you can now ask the question. You can now ask your questions. And I went, why can I answer my questions now? Why can I ask the books? The road had to be laid for me to speak. <laughs> and so then I asked the questions and he was so wonderful in answering all the first world questions that I had, which were unfortunately sometimes too first world because they we think too congested in our mind and too complex and it's hard to simplify. <laughs> and, uh, but that was such an exciting time. I loved it. It was just a beautiful, beautiful afternoon. Wow. And it was an afternoon. It was like four hours. <laughs> Wonderful. So, so they drink three rounds of tea, three or more than that. Wow. It's usually three cups of tea. Wow. <laughs> Wonderful. And the shot glasses, right? The little shot glasses. So yeah. three cups of tea. And, yeah. uh, and the other thing, after, you, after the first cup of tea, it seemed, and I'm not sure if this is always the case, then they will spray perfume around everybody so that everybody smells good. And then also you have to wash your hands so everything is clean and, and everything. So, so it's uh, they pass that all around. So it's oh. a real. It's, yeah, actually. So anyway, but uh, I could go on forever. So <laughs> were they not allowed? You know, like uh, are we allowed when in the tea parties like that? If I ever want to go, will they allow me or they won't? You usually have to be with people. Okay. Okay, so the locals, so you need you to. Need to you need to be with a local. You need to be an introduction. You, need, you can't just sort of show up on your own because they they would not accept necessarily. Mm. And and also, it's more difficult for a woman in these cultures mm. because yeah. it's a Muslim culture, and these the tea ceremony is usually what I saw was all men mm. come together at the markets or wherever you come together. Okay. And the women sat separately because it's a Muslim culture, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. consequently, it's part yeah. of the tradition. But also what's fascinating is that I don't, I never got to, is the Tuareg. The Tuareg is a, a tribe in the, a very big tribe in Mali, southern uh, Libya, and across the Sahara. And I never got to see them and I would love to meet them because it is... The woman has the power. Okay. The woman does not wear a veil. The man wears a veil. Wow. The woman wants to show her pretty face. The woman has the power of divorce and marriage and of decision making. They're very big. They're also business leaders. And they're an apparently very, very fascinating society. And the anthropologist that I spent time with, he says, there's a very famous woman in the, the tribe and she has been married 17 times. Wow. And she, he says, even after a week, if she doesn't like you, she can divorce you right away. Nice. Fascinating <laughs> <laughs> lady and people still and guys still want to marry her. <laughs> Nice. So it's so, like a parallel universe. Yeah, it's a very parallel universe. Absolutely. Um, but most most of them that I found, and 
and, and or the ones that I went to are are patrilineal societies, and so you know there's a position of female male and, and matrilineal is uh, it's just opposite, and so you know I think that that's uh, it's also interesting. Um, but I would go back and I would like to have more conversations with women, especially in, Mor in Morocco. Mm -hmm. And you could further south. There was more, I was told further south that I could. So, you know, it, it's never ending. Yeah, true. This journey. There's still yeah. more to learn. And I mean, I just, you know, feel like I've just got this much, you know, mm -hmm. such breadth of, of information and and discovery to continue to do. True, true. It, they're fascinating. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. So any other experience, you know, and any experiences, some from India, it's, you know. Well, I have, a, I, I mean, I have lots of. Wonderful. I think one of the things that I, that touches home for me very much is uh, in India was once when I was uh, in Maharashtra state, I went to Ganeshpuri and I stayed at Gurudev Sudhapit, which is, I follow an Indian guru. And okay. it's uh, the home of Nichananda, Muktananda, and Chidvilasananda, who is the current uh, guru. And they do a variety of philanthropic work. And one of the things was actually was going in a, it was in a Tamsa Valley, very, very poor, was mm. to go and spend time uh, with the little villages, you know, mm. and, but to, offer milk to feed milk one cup of milk to each one of the children mm. and i went on a milk drive to 12 villages in the morning and i have to say that that was probably one of the biggest heart openers to see these little children you know they you'd honk they'd honk the horn and they'd come running from everywhere and all of these secondhand clothes and toots and pretty dresses and you name it all, all the oddest things that you could find and these big eyes just looking at you they're so excited and then they would sit them all in rows and then they would somebody would say a prayer and you know and, and then they would be given we would give them one cup of milk and then yeah. to see the the milk smile around, you know, around the little brown faces. And I have to say that each time, each time I went to one, I just, my heart just went, open, open, open. It was just so beautiful. And those are the miracles of life, which I think to realize that one cup of milk means so much to someone. And here we have so much and we don't take it, we take it all for granted. True. And, uh, yeah, mm, mm. phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, I met, I, met some, I met a fellow in, you know, I, these are the types of things that actually make me grow, that also make me see the world from a different place, because I can, I would say I'm, I'm not, certainly not wealthy, mm. but I have a privileged upbringing, and, you know, in many ways is that I met a young fellow uh, in Namibia and he's from the Oshawambo tribe and, and they are the ruling class basically in Namibia. Mm -hmm. And uh, he told me, he said, you know, I was an, an orphan at seven years old because my, I was in a car crash and my parents were killed and I was survived. Then I didn't, my family didn't want me. 
and then he he said that the only thing was to go live on the street. So you see this in India a lot, huh? In the, and so he lived on the street and he lived out of trash cans and you know in, from seven to eleven. And then someone said you should go to school. And so this woman took him into her house and and he went to school. And then he had problem. You know he they he was bullied and you know different ages starting school with five year olds and he was eleven and so it, it's a really challenge. And then he went, he tried to commit suicide twice over his okay. life and because of such challenges and things like that. And then he, he, got, he graduated from high school and then he got into university. And then when he got into university, the first two years of university, he was unable to, he lived in a prison because that's the only bed he could find. And he had to walk three hours to university. He missed most of his classes and then back again. He was almost killed again because of robbers and, and things like that. But he keeps, you know, he, he's obviously a blessed life because he has survived all of this. And now he has gradu graduated with honors and now has just been accepted into Erasmus University in in Rotterdam, one of the better universities of the world, to do his master's. And yeah. when I listen to him and listen to the love in his heart, and he expresses, he said, you know, people don't realize that the food that they put into the dustbin, I feel so grateful for. And I had never ever connected gratefulness to food being put into a garbage can before. So, and he, he said it with great deep honesty from his heart that he's so grateful for everything. And these are pieces that have made not only me grow, but these stories are vibrant that mm. we should not take life for, for granted. True. You know? And so these are rich stories and they have something for yourself in them to make you become more aware of what's important. So I think a lot of this journey is about self-discovery on an ongoing business. I mean, that's what life is, right? True. For yourself, it's the same, and actually, it's it's all about self-discovery. True, true. Yeah. So any other book that you're working on other than your nomadic mindset? Well, the Monomatic Mindset has been out for, it's launched a year ago now. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not working on another book now because I want to just get what is in the book out and okay. put into reality. So into organizations and with individuals through coaching, through uh, speaking, because I think it's really rich and it's very timely and I think it's very important uh, yeah. information that we need a fresh new mindset. Sure. for today and all the organizations and the executives that I ever talk to and I do a polling constantly and I tell them because there's three mindsets in my book nomadic builder and settler mm -hmm. I talk about three but the bias is towards the nomadic mindset mm -hmm. and with that uh, I ask them what is the mindset that you believe that you need more of in your organization today Mm. And the majority, let's say 75 to 80 percent, say a nomadic mindset. 
So this is very timely, very important, and it's really what I love to do is to help organizations to uncover the, their winning edge, and their winning edge comes from the nomadic mindset. Mm. It's not it's not the builder that's part of it, but it's the nomad which will take you into this period in our lives, True. this new world, not this new normal, this new world True. that we're in. And uh, I mean, that's my soapbox, but it's also, uh, I think, what other people are suggesting as well. And when you read about it in leadership or you read it through, they're all talking about these values, you know, from an, an organizational point of view, collaboration, co-creation, agility, flexibility, adaptability, co-create, you know, all of these, everyone's talking about, but they're all in the nomadic mindset. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, and a message for, you know, our audience and listeners. If there's one thing that I think that is very, very important, and I say, I come back to this, these two quotes, the movement of the mind to keep your mind moving and think vastly, act narrowly. I think those are the two most important things that we can think about in our lives is to so that we can grasp the expansiveness of this globe and also ourselves. We're not narrow beings, we are vast beings within this vessel. And we have the potential and it's about using that. And it's about using our own resources which are natural to us. And I think that is the most important thing is that we think that every resource has to come from an intellectual learning of the left side of our brain. It is not all of that. That is one beautiful function. But the mindset is combined with your mind here in your brain, your mind in your heart, and your mind in your gut. That's a set of three. The magic of three, which is unity. And from, I believe that when we do this, we can see the world from a different place, whether it's diversity, whether it's inclusion, whatever way, whether it's in your world at home, or whether with friends, or within an organization, or as an entrepreneur, it's the same. But you need to go wide before you go narrow, go wide before you go narrow, go wide before you go narrow. Get curious, curious, curious. And remember that the wisdom, the wisdom of the group is the most important. True. It's not just us as one. Yeah. There's the something that's very interesting and the, the word for thank you in San and is miwia. So I looked at it and I went, oh my God, mi, we, a. So thank you means me is thank, you means we. Uh, so, but I, I say the me and the we are together. Two. And I thought that's so beautiful, you know, yeah. to bring that one word together is to me, we, ah. And they mm. say it with such vibrance, me, we, ah. <laughs> you know? And uh, so it's, it's beautiful. So that's what I say to you, me, we, ah. <laughs> Me, we are too. <laughs> I mean, this is really, you know, mind blowing in a way. And I would love to listen to more and more and more stories from you. 
<laughs> well, we can talk more. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. I'm so in for that. Yeah. Okay, so coming towards the end of it, uh, how can our listeners connect to you? Ah, that's great. Thank you. I mean, first of all, they can connect with me uh, through my website, which is thenomadicmindset.com. So www.thenomadicmindset.com. You can also follow me on my podcast, which is the Nomadic Mindset Podcast. And also you can get my book if you want. I know in India, this is the book. Definitely. But in India, it's only an E. It's on, it's on, uh, it's an e-book on Amazon. Right. And, but it's, it is not as pretty because this one has pictures and things like that and it's beautiful design. Oh. So it's, it's yeah. a, and uh, please look me up. I'm Kevin Cotton on LinkedIn. And Instagram is the same. It's C-O-T-T-A-M. And also Facebook is the same thing. I'll also provide all the links in the description box below. Links Great. in the description, yes. Thank you so much for this lovely conversation, Kevin. I mean, I vibe to this conversation a lot. Mm. So I try to, you know, get people into exploring the cultures more and not just be a tourist, you know, mm -hmm. to try and live. What if you were born in Dubai? What if you were born in Singapore? So, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, try yeah. to live a local life for at least a day. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Try a local day for a day, at least a yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. very good. I like yeah. that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank this you is very that. nice. And that's yeah. really what one should do, at least get them out of their shell because that starts yeah. to think vastly. Yeah, true. That's when we learn more, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much, Kevin. Love. Thank you. Know, Thank you. Namaste. 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 So this was Kevin Cottam's inspiring life journey so far and some amazing travel experiences. And I hope you learned some ancient wisdom from this episode. Thank you so much for giving your precious time to this podcast. If this episode was inspiring and insightful, please do drop a comment on my Instagram and YouTube. At the rate my boho voyage. Also, do check out my YouTube channel at the rate my boho voyage for the video version of this episode. Please do subscribe and give a five star rating and hopefully write a review for inspiring explorers. Also, please don't forget to connect with me on Instagram and YouTube. Drop me a hi or send me a comment so that I know we are in this journey together. This has been Akshay Srivastava, your host for Inspiring Explorers, saying goodbye. See you next week with an amazing, inspiring interview. Till then, take care.